0: Welcome to the Spy Cops Info Podcast. A series on the secret undercover political police who infiltrated the lives of members of over a thousand campaign activist groups in the UK since 1968. Episode 24, Tilly Gifford and the Fight for a Scottish Inquiry.
1: The inquiry stops at the border. Like in Scotland, there is no recourse at all of finding out, um, yeah, what happened, which spy cops were here, who they targeted, yeah. and I know the inquiry is really limited and insufficient in England and Wales. Anyway, but in Scotland, there's literally there's not even any um, like veneer of like a mechanism to access truth or clarity. So I wasn't eligible to be a core participant to the inquiry because I'm based in Scotland, and so my case. Got used as a way to try and be, um, um, or like a gateway case to have an inquiry in Scotland, a proper inquiry into undercover policing in Scotland, and we had a judicial review that was in my name, and it was on the basis that I was one of the few rare instances that it was a recorded, um, a recorded, a recorded incident of undercover policing mm-hmm. in Scotland, and that I had no access to the inquiry. England and Wales and therefore Scotland needed to have its own inquiry. Yeah, it was a long, a long yeah, it was a it was a long and testing process. It was multiple years of us working on this as a legal case and as a campaign, Scottish it's called Scops, um, Scottish campaign opposing police surveillance. Um and what was really incredible, like as the document from the undercover research group shows, is that it did unearth Many instances of undercover policing in Scotland, beginning with like in nineteen sixty nine they were in Dumbartonshire spying on the international marxist group and we know the black um, the blacklist support group is massively overrepresented um in terms of Scottish cases and again yeah it's just absolutely devastating like how these instances where there' was definitely police involvement and collusion you know, would have decimated working class lives, like working class men who were blacklisted would, yeah, their lives would be ruined, families have been ruined and destroyed by this, like it leads to like depression and alcoholism and things that, destroy family and lives. And we know that there were many multiple instances of this in Scotland. And it's shocking that there's no yeah. mechanism yeah,
0: for For people who don't know, so intelligence gathered by undercover poli- police officers was were on, passed on via the probably the industrial desk at special branch onto these the, the private firm who done the blacklist in the consulting association.
1: Yeah. And so people involved with trade unions, people outspoken about the most basic worker rights, like access to toilets and facilities and better pay. Like anyone who's fighting, and I think it was mostly in the construction industry that at least it was in the construction industry that it was found out. So that's one we know the most about. It might have been happening across many other industries, but in the construction industry... I, no, I was who just going to say, sport, there was a list
0: know? of like people who were not trade unionists as such, but in, environmentalists on on one of the lists. Um, people who were active, I think, in the mid to late 90s. They, they were also on, on the blacklist. Yeah, um, and just to mention Dave Smith, who's probably one of the leading, if you like, um, inquiry campaigners. Um, he, he's the trade unionist and, black, and secretary of the Blacklist sup- Support mm-hmm. Group. we um, hope hopefully interview him um, really soon, but y- you can also find his um, excellent um, statement on the, the inquiry website um, as well.
1: Yeah, so the Undercover Research Group and also through this process of campaigning, we did start to compile instances of undercover policing in Scotland. And when we went to see the cabinet secretary for justice, or the minister for justice, um, Michael Matheson, at the time we went to see him with people who had been uh, targets of spy cops, to ask him what kind of mechanism would there be in Scotland and yeah, he squirmed in his seat. It was pretty awkward. Uh, we went to him with victims of spy cops and also their families. Um, and they bought time by saying that they were going to commission a review, that they, the review was a stepping stone to decide as to whether they'd have an inquiry and the review into undercover policing is what they would issue. That would be Scotland specific, yes. And then a few years later what year did the review come out Ooh, i think it's 2017 or 2018 they brought a review into undercover policing in scotland and it's absolutely shocking like we know so like the, the the time span of it is like way less we know that these uh, secret units were operating since 1968 and the review just covers a few years back and it doesn't even mention the um state-sanctioned sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. which is the relationships of women and the institutional misogyny within that, is not even mentioned. When we know that these, it's established, right, that these officers were doing this in Scotland. We know that on Scottish-like territory, we know this. And Carlo Neri was with his fiancée, his fiancée Andrea. They were in Scotland often because their family were here like there's well-documented instances of this taking place in Scotland as well. And it wasn't even mentioned in the report, but also they did this quite sneaky thing of amassing all these different themes. So they put in um, CHIS or covert human intelligence sources, like information about that on instances of drugs and trafficking. So they did quite a deliberate thing of amassing all these different themes when we know from research that's been carried out around the inquiry that the, groups from the left and to do with social change were disproportionately targeted like things that were a threat to the status quo um and from leftist movements were the ones that were targeted and they they yeah they kind of put it all together with things which would be much more damnable as it were and obviously it's a bigger there's also a bigger question about do we need police do we need chis anyway but that was definitely um a tactical move to do that so the. The report that they authored was totally pathetic and lacking and shocking. And also, why is the report being commissioned? Why are the police doing the report anyway? Why are the police marking their own homework? Like, why would you ask abusers to write their own report on what they've done? Like, that in itself, just in the very process of how they're doing it, is totally shocking. Like, that's no way to approach... um, yeah, anything with any any sense of justice, um, and but also the co-authors of it. There was Stephen Whitelock, There was Gormley. Like these people were, like heads... They were. They were. They were head of Strathclyde Police Press Ground. They say, were You in... mentioned
0: Gormley, Phil Gorm, Gormley, because he, he he became Chief Constable of Scotland. That's right, isn't he? But at, at, just around the time he was appointed. Um, it came out, well, it was, when when was he actually appointed? It was after the spy cops scandal broke, but we know that he was the officer in charge when the merger of Special mm-hmm. Branch happened with Anti-Terrorism Branch um, around 2006. So this was like the end of the Special Demonstration Squad. Um, so he oversaw that, and and therefore we would have thought he would have been privy, at the time we thought he would have been privy to that information. Now, as it turns out, um, in Kate Wilson's case, um, the investigatory powers tribunal. Mm-hmm. See a variety of episodes we've done on this podcast about that. But if Phil Gormley was often the senior officer signing off on Mark Kennedy's um, deployments and renewals of deployments, um, which we, you know, which is obviously, um,
1: yeah.
0: you know, given the fact that after that he was allowed to be become chief constable of Scotland. You might think is shocking, but well, perhaps shocking is not the right word because we're not really shocked by anything these days about about this whole scandal. But appalling for sure.
1: Yeah, and so I so this HMICs report review they called it came out, and um, yeah, it was just such an insult to uh, anyone who knows they were targeted, and it's yeah clearly demonstrated that the Scottish government have absolutely no interest in being seriously accountable or in actually looking into what happened at all. Um, and the fact not only that they got the police to investigate themselves, the fact that the main authors were all people who had been involved in running these spying units, like actively involved in it, and making decisions in it and signing off on stuff, and... Um, just makes it yeah really deplorable. So that le- in legal terms, that's what they're using to stall it. So when we pushed for to have an inquiry in Scotland, the legal representatives for for England and Wales said that we were too late; that we'd already missed the deadline um by which we could contest it and have a judicial review and in scotland they said with you're too early you can't contest it because we're still deciding if we're going to have an inquiry or not so that was also how it was really stalled and drawn out and then they brought out the review which was really lacking and offensive and um yeah insufficient and then the scottish legal aid board was really reluctant the whole way through it's a massive battle for them to like fund the case to keep it going very easy to argue that that's a political decision um that they didn't want this case to be heard and so we had to crowdfund uh we used crowd justice and crowdfunded um enough money to have the first part of it heard in court to evaluate whether the case had merits or not and one thing that was amazing about the crowd justice page and of course it's really intimidating like no one wants to put their face and name out there Mm -hmm. um in this context but what was really beautiful and it was made up of people putting in a five or a tenor at a time and all the comments you know from people who've been affected by um the blacklisting people who've been affected by undercover policing actually that was really galvanizing to have this like plethora of voices people being like nice one this is why it matters um inadvertently actually i think that gave us all a lot of a lot of energy um the financial support but the comments alongside it yeah it was really uh, galvanizing and then we funded the first part of the court case and the case did have merits and so then it was brought on to the next the next phase of it and then it was argued in court that the um, that the case was one of personal interest that it was it wasn't eligible for more for further Scottish legal aid board funding because it was um, a case of personal interest for myself to find out who these you know we wanted so we had to push it we wanted to find out who these two undercover police were who were following me but obviously it's about it's about people whose lives have been decimated by being on the blacklist it's about women who've had their the whole uh, world's turned upside down by finding out that they've been duped into these really traumatic and horrificly manipulative relationships. It's about potential children who've been fathered who um, who deserve to know their background story. It's to do with whole campaigns and trade unionists and people fighting for a better future who have their, had their whole uh, networks damaged. And... Yeah, you need to you need to know what happened and understand what happened, and also what seems really fundamental too is like they there's no opportunity to have any safeguards in place, right? So it's not just to know what happened; it's that we can't have demand like safeguards and demand an end to these practices if they're not brought to light. And so it's kind of like chicken and egg: the Scottish government, like, well, you don't need an inquiry because there's never been any instances of undercover policing in Scotland is what they're saying it hasn't happened here there there is no evidence and if you don't release cover names or if we don't know which groups are targeted people are never going to come forward and say that they were potentially affected by it and therefore we can't have any clarity shone on it, and therefore we can't have any safeguards that will protect us from it. It's still going on; it will still go on. I was just going to add a little bit of context
0: with people because although the inquiry is, is mainly—and it will be mainly—about two units based the Special Demonstration Squad and the later the MPIOU. Um, the, if you look, like, one of the, the the latter modules is supposed to investigate other units who might, who may or may not have deployed undercover police officers. So that would include, for instance. Um, special branch units not only in outside of the metropolitan police area but say like i don't know say lancashire police we we believe that there was definitely a an undercover at least one undercover a guy called tony robertson not the guy who played baldrick in blackadder but another tony robertson who who seemed to be working independently but also going undercover there so ha- had the inquiry been extended to scotland then we would have heard about say for instance um undercover police who were directly attached to the various forces there strathclyde or whoever
1: yeah so finally so we ran the case for as long as it could pushing for this judicial require um judicial review and uh, the court of session in edinburgh and then yeah finally due to them not funding the next part of the case and it could have been a gamble we could have uh, tried to fundraise for the next leg of it and then after we passed that hurdle maybe because we know we know that there's traction in the arguments we have like we know that but um, I think the effort it was and the resources it was taking to get it over the next hurdle we decided yeah to, to draw it to a close for then but I mean, I know one it's really important that it is recorded in history that there was there were voices like people are not are not content with this absolute lack of an inquiry in Scotland. Yeah, so it's really important, sorry, go over it. Yeah, it feels really important that there's at least a trace of that, but also we know that it will be picked up, like it definitely will be picked up, like we will find out in the fullness of time, it will become unraveled, like who was affected and in what ways and it, someone, Maybe we will. Maybe other people will pick it up, but we left it for sure.
0: Absolutely, it's definitely. I mean, it's. I think it would just. I mean, we're not sure what's going to happen when, when when they get eventually, whenever that is, they get to, if like the era of, the, of the National Public Intelligence Order Unit. Um, in terms of what happens when it when, for instance, um, we get to the GA in Scotland.
1: Yeah, yeah, we know for sure that the local police forces at the time of the G8 would have had to have signed off, signed off on um, the spy cops from the Met being up here as well. As in that there's so many different things to follow but it's, it's completely impossible. I know.
0: Yeah, well not just the Met, wasn't it how, how many German undercovers? They say there's loads and presumably that meant the, there would have been loads from, there would have been others from different countries as well, Italy, France, whatever. In addition to that,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's completely implausible for them to claim that they were oblivious to all of this. Like they would Yeah, I mean, you would have, yeah,
0: they, they should have had sight of the officers, as they to use their phrase. I guess they, they would have known. They should have known, especially obviously. I mean, at that point. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll ramble on a bit, but um, yeah. So, is there anything else you want to say on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to note the context in 2009 when I was targeted. When it came out as a story, everyone was like shocked and aghast and amazed that this could happen and all of these things. And um, yeah, I think it's really interesting how there's a cultural shift uh, when the spy cops scandal broke. And before that, if you were moving in circles where you knew this kind of thing, is happening, would be happening. You'd kind of be called a conspiracy theorist a lot. And people are like, mm, yeah, you might think it's happening, but like really like not. And then there's this cultural shift, which I think is really interesting. And then w- around the time of the, the Lush campaign, which was what, two years ago, so Lush, the high street shop, um, took on this, the campaign around spy cops. And yeah, they had to remove all their material. They Their, their staff were getting aggressed and their windows were getting... and. I, th- I just yeah, find it really
0: intimidation it, by the police to on ver- on various branches. I know in Cardiff they had to. I think they were sort of browbeaten into taking the the stuff out the um out of the window.
1: Yeah, not by the police, but also just from people on the high street. I think it's a really interesting kind of uh, like temperature gauge that people are really not ready for this kind of fairy tale of like the good copper and the police to be. Um, yeah, to be challenged or people is, it runs deep. It runs deep essentially. And people felt super threatened by this, the myth or the fairy tale of the good copper being really pulled into question so sort of visibly. And yeah, they had to they had to really rapidly and, emer- and urgently withdraw all their campaigning materials. So as well, I just find these like interesting markers in time. Like when my case happened, it was like, really, they're doing this? So shocking. And then there was a spy cops case. But then when you push it a bit further and actually put it on the high street, People are the general public is still really kind of not up for it. There's still so much work to do to really have an intelligent critique around the police. Oh, oh, definitely,
0: it's a, definitely a big. Yeah. I mean, people don't want to believe that the people that have power over them aren't are corrupt uh, in a, in a variety of different mm-hmm. different ways. It's a, a real big thing. I mean, because I, I suppose I have looked into this quite a lot in terms of like the because I, I suppose because I grew up in a council estate where they got a two, two, to the police was pretty negative and that's what i grew up with it's always kind of slightly shocked how like most most of the population seem to think the police were great um but i think i mean it's i mean as i say i think it's a kind of like people want to believe the, the, in the police because they have the power over them and it's a real big psychological mm-hmm. hurdle to get over i think uh, in recent events especially yeah. around around the the yeah. murder of several everard and, and stuff i mean it's hard to say how how deep the impact is on of these events. I'd like to think it, it is in some way transformative, but I don't know. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and like, I, I guess it was, it was just quite an amazing experience to start from that point of departure and then be privy to standing in solidarity with so many amazing people and testimonies, either from women who are affected or from workers and I think that is the work that we also need to do is to really intertwine to make a fabric of like I think mean, that's the work that is is there for us to do is to yeah reach out to other movements and other generations that could have been effective and have a more coherent kind of fabric and sense of who was affected and how so that we can really come forward and be like this this has happened that we need an inquiry like it's not this position of having no in scotland is, is insufficient yeah, um yeah
0: it's been great speaking to you um is there, is there anything else you want to add in that within that context Oh, one of the things I was going to mention, I, I might, I might slot this in somewhere else in the interview, so it's a bit out because it's a bit out of, uh, out of time. Is that? Um, so I know, I guess uh, I'm aware because obviously you were involved with Plain Stupid, and I think the year before, um, it, I think in the, in the if if you like in the London branch of Plain Stupid, um, there was a corporate spy exposed, yeah. uh, kind of a bit of a laughable one called Toby Kendall. Yeah, it was, I was just. Um...
1: Yeah, and so I wasn't in that group in London, but I was in Scotland. But yeah, I was around for the tour. Yeah, so that that bit of story was amazing. That story is really amazing, but also, um, so the instant so that was Gordon Irving who actually sent an email to the wrong person, and Gordon Gordon Irving was the ex head of Special Branch or Strafford Special Branch. So. It's a really, really interesting instance of the revolving door, right, between the industries. So Gordon Irving was head of Strathclyde special branch. And then when he retired, he became the head of security for Scottish Power. And then he got found and embarrassed um, for hiring a private security company called Vericola with Rebecca Todd, who was in it. He was targeting environmental groups um also we had the list of groups that they were targeting it was you know the pretense that they were just targeting um direct action groups is um totally laughable like the range is just huge it's just a massive industry of like data collecting and profiling a lot of these private security companies are staffed by x Police. So there's laws of nepotism. They've got the the methods. Yeah. Mark indeed. Stone went on to create his own private security company, still using um, you know, his identity as an undercover, but then just for working for for his own private company. Um and um as well, I think it's really important to keep an eye of, you know, the police outsourcing their dirty work to a private company so that they're not bound by the same standards or accountability and actually it's the same people the same methods um it is also really sinister like really what they're doing as as officers with some presumed uh, like some expected accountability is so Mm -hmm. so shocking and revolting like so violent you can imagine that like when they're then opening their own private secure their own or their own private companies, and the police could be outsourcing outsourcing their dirty work in even less accountable ways, it's really important to be aware as well of this revolving door, and there's many instances of it. Yeah, and also Scotland trying to wash their hands of this and be like, "There's no need for an inquiry. There's nothing to see here." We know that Bob Lambert was then had a career in teaching at St Andrews University in Scotland, and like we know these people then go on to actually like shape uh our culture through all these other institutions yeah i think as well looking at the general culture of misogyny and trust in the state and seeing how these people who did these absolutely revolting things just get job upgrades and then go to train more people to do it like this whole chat of like it's one rogue police officer like really isn't flying and we know that now like we know there's the tradecraft manual and we know that they were then in senior positions after doing these really disgusting things like training other people to do the same thing and that they were admired for it but that they I think it's also really important to trace these people to the cultural institutions and and the spaces they then occupy to really understand that it's a general culture that we need to call out and challenge
0: Thanks Teddy so much for that For more information and to find all the previous episodes, visit spycups.info. Please help support the podcast by liking or subscribing or sharing or reviewing or donating or anything really. Cheers.